Let's be honest, few humans enjoy meetings and many feel trapped in meetings. As leaders, we don't want to burden those we lead, but meetings can seem to do that more often than not. We wanted to address the pain of meetings through the Meetings with Saints Library. Here we have 15 plus presentations dedicated to improving the meetings we run. We have experts in the field addressing topics like getting people involved in meetings, staying on task, dealing with conflict in meetings, and a ton more. We'd love you to explore the full Meetings with Saints library over 14 days at no cost to you. You can do this by visiting leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. We'll also give you access to all of our virtual libraries that educate about other leadership topics. It's really good stuff. So visit leadingsaints.org 14 or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Now, for many of you that are brand new uh, to Leading Saints, it's important that you know that Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization, 501c3, dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation. We get so much positive feedback on the podcast, our virtual conferences, the articles on our website. You definitely got to check it out at leadingsaints.org. And on their homepage at leadingsaints.org, you can actually find the top six most downloaded episodes to the podcast. So if you're new, like the content, want to jump in to some of our most popular episodes, head there after you listen to this episode. The following episode is a throwback episode, one that was published previously and was extremely popular. To see the details of when this was originally published, see the show notes. Enjoy this throwback episode. Today, I find myself in Centerville, Utah with uh, Dave Farnsworth. How are you, Dave? Good. Good. Now, <laughs> we sort of have a story, a history of how we came in contact. Maybe, what, how did we first get in touch? Give, give me your side of the story. Well, I listened to a number of your podcasts and I thought, this guy is uh, on the right mission. He's doing some really important things. I think he can do a little better job than sometimes <laughs> his interviewing. And so I just uh, dropped you a quick email and said, I, I think I've got a few uh, suggestions for you. Not knowing you, you not knowing me, but just, you know, seeing if that would fly at all. And you immediately responded that day and said, let's get together. Yeah. And the, the tips and ideas you've given me have been priceless. And I've tried to, I think it was just in the last few weeks, I think some of those episodes since our our first meeting have, have come to the surface and uh, I don't know if I'm doing better or not, but please understand as you're listening, I, I'm sort of a little nervous. I feel like I'm at the driving range with Tiger Woods a little bit here oh, that no, no, uh, no. <laughs> I'm interviewing, uh, you know, the, my, uh, my trainer here. So, uh, but you'll help me along the way. We'll edit out all my mistakes. And by the time people hear this, they'll be like, wow, it sounds just so polished. Right. So, so what, you know, with, with interview, what, what is it about your background that gives you an edge as far as knowledge on interviewing? Well, it's, um, I've done a lot of interviewing, both in video and in audio over the years. And I've been really attracted to those people who I think are really good at doing this. I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of uh, NPR and just listen to how they're doing it, why they're doing it, and pay very close attention to how this uh, skill is developed. 
And then as you hear our discussion unfold, you'll see how I have taught interviewing professionally for quite a number of years and how that has uh, impacted as well. Yeah. And, you know, obviously this is a LDS leadership podcast. People may be wondering, oh, is this just Kurt's coaching session that we'll be able to listen to for the next hour? But as we talked, I thought, you know, interviewing isn't just for podcast hosts. And, you know, I, I again, I've tried to develop that. And as many listeners know, I'm, I'm just a marketing guy that uh, never had any formal training in, in interviewing or whatever. Obviously it's developed. Uh, you figure a few things out after 240 episodes, but you know, there's such a skill when it comes to interviewing for bishops or, you know, a lot of people say, I'm supposed to do PPIs or, uh, you know, one-on-one interviews, but they're just so awkward. I don't know what to say. And so as we talked about interviewing skills, some, some approaches, I bet a lot of these concepts, Phil, would serve well to leaders who are in an interview setting from, from time to time. So where do we start? How do we jump into this as far as the world of interviewing skills? Well, it's an important topic. And uh, the question is, you know, why would I want to develop my skill at interview? What is it that I feel like maybe I'm lacking? What is it I think I can improve in? And the question really is how you see your role, how you see your role with others. Mm. And do you really truly want to engage with them in a meaningful way and connect in a way that really brings illumination and understanding? Are you kind of content to be there with your message and see yourself as kind of a guy that's got the message to give. And if you see yourself in that role, then this will be harder for you. Mm. But if you're really earnestly seeking to, how do I connect? How do I really understand my class or my quorum or the one-on-ones I'm doing? Then this this material, I think, has a real application because we're going to drill down. We're going to get to the nitty-gritty of how you really are successful in an interviewing situation that I think has profound life skill implications to it. This has broad application across many fronts and is very, very key to being successful in any leadership role. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the, you know, communicating with a quorum or group says, because sometimes a, an interview doesn't necessarily have to be one-on-one. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, we'll talk a little bit later about this and the application in the classroom. But, you know, we're still talking to individuals. If they're in our quorum, Mm. we need to build a personal relationship. And oftentimes that's outside the classroom. It happens when we are working together either in projects or are getting to know each other more fully. And when you talk about, you know, the role and an interviewer's role in that interaction, how would that, what's the application there, you know, for a bishop or an elder's quorum? Is it sort of getting rid of biases or hidden agendas? I think it's more fundamental. It's really valuing the insight and the potentiality of the other person and not coming from a status position looking down Mm. or thinking somehow I'm in a higher role of any kind here, but that we're fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God and that we're both trying to work our way out of an issue here and trying to get better at doing things and really valuing the thoughts, the thinking, the struggles that's going on with another person that we're trying to work in the vineyard with. Yeah. Is there any specific example that really illustrate those principles as far as understanding the leader's role in that interaction? Well, I think it's uh, an example is, you know, I, I can talk to it in a more secular term since most of the time I'm coaching leaders. Yeah. Leaders feel like they're in a position, particularly in business, 
They're in charge. They ought to have the answers. They ought to be making decisions and causing things to happen. And consequently, there's this pent up need to kind of be the guy or the gal who is, you know, directing and being in charge. And that's the way a lot of people define leadership in that kind of way. Yeah. In the church, that's also compounded by I've been called, I've been set apart, I've been given special keys, I have discernment, I have these kind of things that people are looking for me to provide counsel and advice, and I got to step up to that plate. And so there's this need to oftentimes be the tell person, mm. be the guy with the answers, mm. be the lady that has the uh, solution to the problem. and. We're taking a different tact here. We're saying the object here is to understand. The object here is to value the class, to value the individual quorum member, to value the counselor, to value the input of others, and to really seek to engage at a much deeper level with them by understanding. We hear often it's been said, well, you just need to listen. <laughs> or you need to understand them. Uh-huh. Well, how do you do that? Yeah. That's what we're going to talk about in yeah. our program today. So there, there's some fundamentals here as far as understanding your role. Is this a, a list of fundamentals? Is it one or two? How would you, where do we, would we start with the fundamentals? Well, there are a few that I would call the mindset to be sincerely interested in others, their thinking, their differences, their challenges, their successes, to draw on their stories to recognize their value, to acknowledge them as significant. That's a foundation. To be sensitive to the point of view, their perspectives, their worldview, their context, their frame of reference, critical to understanding them. Many people don't kind of think about others in that way. Then there's reading others accurately, their emotional tones, their nuances, their subtleties, Having the vocabulary to articulate, that is pretty a high-level skill to be able to kind of sense that and understand it. Then be willing to be authentic individually, to be consistent in unconditional positive regard toward the other person. This is particularly hard sometimes with those who are close to, we want to judge and that we have some, yeah. some issues with. Then having a good sense of ourselves in terms of our personal awareness. Being in touch with yourself, with what you're feeling and why, being intentional about what you're doing and working to be personally accountable for yourself and be congruent in that. And then to trust others in their ability to respond, to believe in their capability, to value their experience and their example, their expectations, their aspirations and contributions, and to expect them to kind of come through for you. That's a really important one. Of course, not always to see yourself as the expert or the focus of attention, but to be, to kind of uncouple yourself from the need to have all the answers, to give the lecture, to talk about yourself. Most of us can't wait to tell our own stories. And this is a way to kind of pull back from that and really seek to engage with the other person. So a lot about being aware of yourself, others, being sensitive to the dynamics, being mindful of what's happening in the moment, in the interaction, and having the good sense to manage that for the better good. Yeah. I mean, that's a long list there. So do we <laughs> want to jump into each one of these? Is that No, we'll, uh, we'll go into more of the dynamics of the actual skill itself. Okay. These, are, these are just mindsets, okay. if you will, that 
are kind of backdrops to being able to even engage in this in a very meaningful way. So I, I don't want to spend a lot of time gotcha. on that other than to just make mine that, you know, there are some deep things going on. Here. Yeah. And then when we start talking about the skill, you'll see how they play into it. Yeah. So with this list then, I mean, these are mindsets. These are, you know, before maybe a leader goes into an interview or an interaction, these are some things to thought, think through. You know, am I being sincere? Am I being authentic? Am I being self-aware? Am I truly wanting to know about their journey, where, you know, where they're coming from, right? Yeah. And then that sort of helps you regroup. It does. Yeah, it does. So what, what's the next step? As far as the skills, there, well, there's a um, certain level of skills that we go into here. Yeah. And the, so basically, I've been thinking about this interview. Uh, I was on vacation and with a friend of mine who's a CEO of a marketing firm. And I've done this 3DI interviewing skill with he and his leaders for a number of years. And, and it's important. This is, a, you mentioned the 3DI. This isn't something that you woke up one day and thought, oh, this, here's a five rules to interviewing. I mean, this is a researched approach. This is something that we've worked on for quite a while. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so it's got some real legs to it and it's been used by leaders for many, many years. And he was very enamored with the idea that we might have this podcast. Oh, and, wow. and, so uh, at least he's listening. <laughs> and he said, it's, it's a terrific opportunity. Actually, he's a Methodist, a, oh, okay. a good, solid, wonderful Christian guy. But we spent some time together and he, uh, he shared a story that was just tip of the tongue for him because it just happened weeks before we'd met. He had a niece who was uh, seeking a job with Amazon and it was a, uh, you know, pretty critical job. And she was asking him for advice. He's a Harvard MBA and a really good guy. And he uh, shared with her over the phone, this idea of the 3DI interview. And it took maybe 30, 40 minutes for him to kind of walk her through it. And he, he, uh, he said, now, Dave, when you do this, you've got to draw the cube. And I was a little hesitant about that. And he said, it's so important for them to have the mental mindset of, of how this works. And the visual of a 3D IQ is designed to help do that. He walked her through it. She kind of was a quick study. She got it. She understood the value of it. And she approached her interview with, with Amazon way differently and got the job largely because, quote, of the quality of her questions that made the difference. The questions she was asking to the interviewer. That's right. right. Is that interaction? The thing. interaction yeah. and then the give and take based on a lot of this kind of skill. So it was, and, and uh, that, that, let me interject. I think that's an important point there is it's one thing to say, like, you know, to take responsibility when you were the interviewer, but even, you know, I think back in my time as Bishop, when I would go in for my PPI with the stake president, that there's still a responsibility there as the interviewee to bring some questions, ask really good questions and, and follow this model. Yeah. We call that enlarging the up arrow. Oh, okay. Wow. Which means, you know, you're taking more accountability for the nature of the communication mm. than just being there. Yes, I love yes, I understand. Okay, I'll do it. You're making sure you're clear and you're asking questions and you're making sure that your needs are being met on the other side. So right. it's a, it's enlarging the up arrow. Awesome. That's a good point. So she got the job. She got the job. And so he was really adamant that you need to draw the, the cube. So today... Kurt, let's give it a shot. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I put a pencil and paper in front of you. I do have an associate's degree in art. So this will, Oh, is this right? This well, will come into play. Yes. That's great. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to draw this. And for those who may be listening, maybe jogging, maybe in the car, they may have to come back to this. Yeah. And if they're in hand, you know, if they're intrigued by 
the value of this model, they will do it. But even nonetheless, visually having it in their heads yeah. should be helpful. And, so, I'll, and I'll share my uh, my drawing here okay. in the show notes. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> so uh, take the paper and put it in a horizontal format. Okay. So you had it. Got it. Yeah. Portrait. It. Now we're horizontal. Now we're going to draw a box route about halfway in the middle, over over to the left right a bit. Uh huh. Okay. Just, Just a square. Box. Start Just with a square. square. Uh huh. And then turn it into a box. Yeah. A cube. If, as you. Yeah. So we're going to now. A 3D cube, like we're going to extend it out. So like it's this. got three dimensions and you want to make it a little deeper than what you've got. Okay. There. I'm that's, going deeper here. That's not, uh, that's more of a, there you go. So it's, it's a deep, deeper cube than that. Okay. So you've got the, you know, receding lines going back to the uh, perspective there. So you've got the lines. Now I want you to draw two horizontal lines in the front of your cube. Okay. So now you have three areas of about the same size. Gotcha. So those are three rows made up of it's two lines. Roughly. My dimensions are off, but. Uh, That's all right. Okay. <laughs> now we're going to label those to the area to the, to the left there. And that's why you have that space there. Okay. So the area to the, the top of the row there is called focused questions. And that's the first of the dimensions. You've got to have really good focused questions. The next one is active listening. So then we'll talk about each one of these in more detail. So that's in the middle of that front. And then at the bottom we'll call summarizing. And that's a, a different than, than just active listening. And we'll talk about how that's unique. Now we're going to go vertically on that front row and we're going to dissect those horizontal lines with two vertical lines. So okay. we're essentially creating a grid there. And nine squares on my uh -huh. front. Okay. You see nine squares. And at the bottom of that, we're going to label the first one there to the, the corner. Right. This uh -huh. one. Okay. That will be, we'll call that column agree. Okay. And the next one in the middle we'll call correct meaning to be corrected or clarified. Okay. And the last one we'll call amplify, meaning to go on and to tell you more. All right. So those are the three vertical columns in that first line. All right. Now we're going to the deeper part. And again, we're going to make three horizontal lines across the top there, like you're doing just terrific. Three lines? Uh, just just two like lines. this. Two, two lines. lines. Okay. Excuse me. So that we have three, three sections. Three okay. areas again. So okay. that's where we get the three dimensions. And the three areas that we're going to label again to the right there or to your left will be a little broader comp. The one closest to the front we're going to call content. And we'll put below that what was said. And the one just back of that we're going to call feeling. And we're going to put under that how it was said. And then the final one at the back row of your cube we'll call implied. Implied. What was not said, but implied. That's the cube. Now we have the 3D cube, and we'll talk about the skill. And this uh, visual is useful for us to kind of think of the depth of the dimensions we're trying to cover here. And it gives us a tactical kind of mental map on why we're doing what we're doing. So 
The first is to prepare questions in advance. Mm-hmm. So this obviously means we're giving our thoughts and our interview a little more thought and preparation than we might normally do. And you want to think things through, think about who you're going to talk with, what is their context, what is their frame of reference. You really want to try to empathize with them. Is this an older person? Is it a young person? Or talking to a teen? What is going on? And anticipate possible issues that might come up and think for a while about the quality of your questions. You need to draft your questions and then try to put them in some kind of a logical order. This uh, could be changed as the interview unfolds. You don't want to be stuck in this order, but it's useful for your thinking to have a logical order to your questions. And then look at your questions carefully. This is the real skill, is to write the right kind of questions and fine-tune them a bit. Most people don't get to this level of thinking about an interview or about... about, (laughs) Not to mention the the lay leaders in this church. Who's next on my schedule? Come on in. Right. (laughs) But there can be some questions that could be highly utilitarian. Yeah. That could be used over and over again because they have a lot of meaning and they fit in lots of situations. But if you were to talk with your counselor or your spouse or others whose input you value and and have them take a look at those, this is a really important step to make sure that your questions are really what they need to be. And particularly if you're in a teaching situation, thinking carefully about the questions you ask the class is probably the most profoundly important element to your ability to be successful as a teacher. But as we talk about sharing, you know, sharing your struggles or writing the right questions, it reminds me of a a leadership skill that I was first exposed to by a stake president. He was in Independence, Missouri, Jerry Harris, who called me to the high council. And before he did that, I was just a young married guy in the Independence Ward. And he would come to me and he'd ask me some questions. And I was just really amazed at his willingness to share kind of candid issues that, that he was asking for, what would you do, Dave? Hmm. You know, what were your, what's your thinking? And this is a one-on-one setting? Yeah. Well, it was in the hall. It was, oh, uh, yeah, you know, just, oh uh, wow. Even informal. Just. Informal. You know, it was, I remember once in the foyer, you know, he was, he got ran out of sacrament cups and he was asking me what, you know, what we should do to make sure this doesn't happen again. And, and uh, it was just, you know, really profoundly interesting to see this stake president so willing to be so upfront and quiz me, you know, how I felt. I just felt really amazed that he would think enough of me to ask the question. Mm-hmm. I've often thought about that as an executive skill, this willingness to share the problem and to collaborate genuinely and openly. He didn't lose a thing in terms of his stature with me by asking these questions. I felt elevated. I felt a desire to try to provide good input. And I think that's sharing the problem is a wonderful leadership skill. Too many people go into leadership thinking they're it. Yeah, that's not the plan. You've got counselors, you've got advisors, you've got colleagues in your marriage. You have a spouse, you have people to help and advise you. And to go solo is really not very effective. So developing these questions, uh, making really good thought-provoking questions, you know, is something you might get to and get at. 
But we'll talk about a variety of kinds of sequences of questions from just getting to know people, new people coming into the quorum or into your class, or you're getting acquainted with a new family into the ward. There are a variety of ways to just, you know, go through a logical set of questions that bring things out in people. And, but, you know, you want to have them open-ended. You want to have the general to the specifics. You want to build reward, a rapport with them. I'm just trying to, to make this clear. There is an art in formulating the actual question. And so just to, just to clarify, this model, this, this, the cube model, it is a model, right? It is. And it's a, a reference point that, that yeah. interviewers can use. Is it all focused? This is your model develop questions or questions is only the, the, first, the part, first part of it? We're just talking about gotcha. that first okay. line on the model. Okay. Focus question. And that's where you start with any interview that's is right. to take some time to figure out what questions right. are going to be asked. And so we're saying to really get good at this and to do it at a higher level, you've got to think more deeply about the questions you ask. Hmm. And you've got to think more about the sequencing of the questions and their order. And that that's a really worthwhile exercise and pursuit to make sure that you start to get really good at this. And so I'm, I'm again, talking about people who want to do this at a fairly high level. Yeah. Who aren't just going to try to wing it with a, you know, hope and a prayer, but they're really trying to say, I want to get good at really understanding other people. Yeah. And that, that's a valuable skill as a leader in the church. It is. Because that's where connection happens, right? It is. There are some good examples of highly utilitarian questions. And I came across one in preparing for a young professional career development program I was giving, and it just struck me as, really, this is a great question. If you were me at this point in my career, what would you suggest I be doing that I'm not now doing? Hmm. You know, that's a good question you could ask to supervisors and colleagues throughout your career. You know, what would you suggest I be doing? I'm not now doing it. You know, I ran across this question and I went into my boss. And he's kind of a crusty guy, he put his cigar <laughs> down and he said, well, Dave, uh, there is a couple. Of I got a list here. I, I think you should do. <laughs> and he had some very valuable information that I've never done things the same after that because of the feedback. I was open. He could see that. He was ready. And he gave me some really good advice. But again, that's a good Highly utilitarian question. And you'll find as you start fine tuning your questions, there'll be a number of them that you'll be using over and over again. Mm -hmm. Have real impact. I love that. Love that. And, and it makes me, and, and so that type of question, I mean, that's something obviously in a youth interview, you wouldn't say if you were a bishop, uh, what would you be doing? You know, what, what could I do differently? <laughs> but maybe, you know, amongst other bishops or with the stake presidency. No, if, if, if I was a stake president, and a bishop came to me, and I, again, I'm mindful that sometimes bishops do things that a stake president doesn't see or not aware of. But you'd be surprised. I've been, you know, sitting as a clerk and with uh, stake presidents for the last seven years in their regular weekly meetings, and hear them talk candidly about the bishops and their strengths and their areas for improvement. And it just would open the door tremendously yeah. for a bishop to say. President, you know, what would you suggest I be doing that I'm not now doing to become better as a bishop? And he might have a couple of good ideas for yeah. you that, you know, you would be receptive for and that he's ready to give. Yeah. And you're, you're practicing such humility. Yeah. You know, it's such a humble question. You're teachable. Yeah. Well, what's the next step in, as far well, as this model goes? The next goes? step is really one of the most profoundly important ones, and it's called active listening. And that's, as you can see, the middle role yeah. in the cube, cube there. 
you know, when people talk a lot about active listening or talk about listening and they, they sometimes feel like they're being requires you to just shut up and be quiet. Well, <laughs> nod your head every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. but active listening <laughs> is not at all passive. Mm. It really requires active, thoughtful attention all the way through. And you're paraphrasing in your own words, the meaning or the essence of what the other person has just said. Now, there's a really interesting dynamic that happens when you do that. The person hears you and they can do at the bottom. They can agree or they can correct you and say, no, that's not quite what I meant. I really meant something more like this. Mm -hmm. Or they will go on and amplify. But a paraphrase is the only statement that you can make that leaves the ball, the direction of the conversation in the other person's hands. They choose where to go from there. If you ask a question or a follow-up question, you're deciding we're going to go now and explore this avenue here. But if you just paraphrase, they are still in control of where the direction of the conversation goes. And if you can paraphrase to the third and fourth level at times and staying with them and hanging in there and being mindful of what they're saying and being very careful to try to look for those elements that you want to kind of rephrase back in a natural kind of way, that can be profoundly helpful to them to hear themselves in their thinking reflected back to them. And, you know, active listening is such a buzzword, I think, in, in the business secular world. You know, it's sort of, we should all be active listeners, but sometimes it's hard to determine how that's done. And it sounds like what you're saying, to paraphrase a paraphrase, <laughs> it's very meta. It sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, paraphrasing is a place to start, to start actively listening. It is the key place. It is the key skill. Yeah. And it's... Uh, it's a, <clears throat> we're going to talk about three levels of paraphrasing. And why would you want to paraphrase? Why would you want to leave the other person in control? It's because you want to find out how they think. You want to find out what they're really feeling. You want to find out what direction they're inclined to go. Mm -hmm. And if you take over, you're deciding what direction we're going to go in. So there's a real tactical reason here that allows that person to stay in control of the conversation. And the more you can hang in there with them, the better it will be. I remember being exposed to this when, as an undergraduate in a paraprofessional program at BYU, where we learned about Carl Rogers and reflective listening. And, and, you know, it was amazing. I remember coming home during the Christmas break and, you know, talking to my mom and thinking, oh, let's practice all this active listening. <laughs> And I just paraphrased and paraphrased and paraphrased. And she went on for almost an hour Yeah, in an area that I just never had. I just could not believe I could get that closeness and that understanding. And that, you know, she, she was my mom. And I, she just, it was just wonderful. It was such an aha moment for me. I just never, I thought this is, there's power here. Mm. There is real power here. So I'm just saying, recognize that this is something significant. It's based on strong empirical practice and evidence, and it's, um, it's a profoundly important thing. Rogers would say that people get better just through this kind of non-directive therapeutic approach. Yeah, and so this is a way, paraphrasing helps stimulate the conversation without 
maintaining without grabbing control of it. That's correct. And, and what, what's a sign of grabbing control of the conversation? I mean, the leading questions or changing the subject or is that? Yeah, you'll, you'll want to interject your questions back into it. But if your questions are dovetailing directly onto their content, then you're reflecting that content. Hmm. And as I said, there are three levels that you can paraphrase. And the first one, as you've outlined there on that depth model, is what was said at the content level. Oh, up here. Yeah. yeah up there. What was said. You're looking in the depth of the cube. So we stay typically on the surface, which is where that content level is, you can see. And we talk about and we reflect most often what they've said and make sure we're clear and that we've we're tracking that. But there are times when you'll want to reflect how they said it. And that's more of a feeling. And you might say something like, that was a pretty awkward moment. Or <laughs> I can see that was pretty uh, difficult for you. Or you seem really like this is important to you. Or I can see you tearing up. That's really meaningful. And, and you, you know, if you reflect... And we're talking even to business people about reflecting feelings yeah. in a business context. It shows a level of understanding and builds intimacy that can be quite profound and important. If I'm trying to build a kind of personal relationship with my colleagues and my uh, coworkers, that can be quite important yeah. for my clients, which is often the, the way we really use this, at least in the way we were teaching it. Yeah, and, and it sort of picks up that you recognize the nuance around, you know, not just what they said, but how they said. I imagine, you know, sitting down with a youth and sure, they're giving me all the right answers, but if there's not feeling behind it or they just appear like they're want to get through this thing, get out the door, you know, you can maybe bring that up and say, well, it seems like you're, you're answering the right questions, but, you know. Now, that's a little more. bit different. Okay. That, what you're doing is you're jumping to the deeper level and that's the implied level. Okay. And, and that's what was not said. Yeah. was gotcha. not said. And, and that's a little bit risky. And so the caution there would be to be mindful of the risk involved in that. It, it's uh, at times really helpful to do, to drive issues into a deeper level. And, and you can do that with, it's not necessarily always risky. You might be talking to a, a, a young teen about their involvement in, uh, in, in athletics and said, you know, so maybe you've been thinking about joining the team. No, they didn't say that. They kind of, you took it to that level. You gotcha. chose to boom, bring it into gotcha. the implied. So I'm not making it sound like every time you go to that deep level, you're, you know, into real risky stuff. But, yeah. But there are times when you're talking to a teen and they're quite sullen and you're, talking about difficult things and you might be feeling like you've been seeing a lot of depression in them and you may say, you know, so and even thought of suicide. Now those people and you've had some of these on your podcast. Yeah, I've, I've asked that question before as as a leader. <laughs> and and the the hesitation there is am I putting ideas in their mind? <clears throat> That's not. The question is it needs to be asked and yeah. it needs to be followed up on and it needs to have the confidence. But it's clearly an implied often level with the risk that's involved in that. But if you're a parent or you're an enthusiastical leader involved in that, that could be some of the most important levels of depth to get to. Yeah. And this process allows you to think more 
thoughtfully about what levels you're at and why and where you're going in the conversation. So you can see by just the model itself. Yeah. Why you can then be more thoughtful and intentional about what you're doing in the interview process. Yeah, it really is. I mean, this model sort of warms up that interview. So, because you can't just walk in and be like, oh, you look sad. You think about suicide? Like, <laughs> you're right. That's not going to be effective. And it would just seem inappropriate, right? And awkward. But this sort of gets you there as you go deeper in this, in this cube, the interview cube, the 3DI. Um, then those questions that need to be asked can be asked. That's right. And and you want to build to it. You want to have established a rapport and you want to do the kinds of things. So we're, we're covering lots of applications in our discussion here, but I think we're creating the kind of skill level that yeah. we're talking about and, and creating an accurate paraphrase to go back to that really requires you to be very thoughtful about what they're saying. And by you then paraphrasing it back, that time it takes for you to respond and for them to hear your response gives you time to think. And it slows down the discussion a bit. And that can be very, very useful for you to process at a deeper level what's going on in the conversation. You know, we say you're supposed to be self-aware and things are coming at you. And there are a lot of things you're thinking about if you're really tuning in. But if all you're doing is, you know, getting ready to unload your message, you know, <laughs> yeah. I got some advice here and yeah. I'm just kind of ready. Buckle up because it's not, you won't like it. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just kind of ready for my moment and I'm going to dive into that. You know, that's really, again, you're just kind of pausing. You're, you know, just kind of like the horse that's, you know. <laughs> waiting for that gate to open. Waiting for the gate to open. <laughs> so you, you don't want to do that. You want to be patient. You want to listen carefully and not feel like you don't maybe, maybe never get to that lesson, that time at that person. Maybe that's a better done later. Maybe your time is best spent uh, really listening. I, I had a story a colleague shared with me uh, some time ago where he had a, a daughter that was in her mid-30s, not married, kind of struggling and he went to the West Coast where she lived and had a vacation, his wife, and he got together with her and they visited the Sierras. And and uh, one evening she just opened up about some of the difficulties she was having with her relationships. And, you know, this is a caring father who really wanted to connect with his daughter. <laughs> and yeah. He had a whole ton of advice, you know, he geared up and ready to give, but he thought, no, I'm, I'm going to try this 3DI stuff. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to listen. And so he didn't. He just spent the time empathizing, listening, mm. reflecting, showing that he cared. And he got a much closer relationship with his young daughter out of that than any amount of advice would ever have provided. Wow. Great advice. I mean, because as a as a leader, sometimes you feel like, no, it's my duty. I'm I'm the device guy, or I'm the I'm the advice guy. You know, I, I dish it out. People come in here, I give it, and, and they go on their way. Right. As I said, and it's even more so in business setting. When mm. You're a manager. You're in charge. You got to make decisions. And we've we've counseled leaders, executives, from the chairman of the board right down to CEOs to division presidents to uh, managers, you know, you're going to be with that employee for some time. It's important for you to understand their thinking 
their uh, natural inclinations, what approach they would take. And if you can ask questions to the fourth level, really going down with them, then that insight into their thinking could be the most important thing you learn. Now, you can always, you know, jump in and provide the quick answer if that's what you want to do. Let's build dependency and, you know, be yourself the star. That's, that's always an issue. But uh, over the years, as executives became more mindful of their role as stewards of resources and thinking about how to deploy them more accurately in the organization, that kind of insight, that kind of understanding of their key horses they're working with yeah is really a much more important thing to understand now we're still in active listening world right that's correct is there more here that we need to dive into or is that just uh, no again we're talking about the three reactions agree clarification and when you get a clarification or correction you're doing your best there to uh to reflect accurately what's been said and when you get a clarification that's paydirt that's something you misunderstood. Mm. That's something you fundamentally didn't get right in your own kind of viewpoint or your own personal thinking was getting in the way. And you kind of need to wake up and say, okay, that's interesting. I, I didn't get that. You know, I, I really didn't get that. That's where you get a deeper insight into the realities that's going on with that individual. Mm-hmm. In fact, they may have said it and you may have accurately paraphrased it. But that's really not what they meant. Mm-hmm. And when they hear it back from you, they say, no, well, it's not more like this. Yeah. And they, they're, they're honing in on the more accurate rendition of what they're thinking. And that's really what you're trying to get at. Yeah. So the, the, the paraphrasing is a form of clarification or is that d- uh, two different concepts? No. The paraphrasing is your, you're doing. You're paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. They're clarifying. Okay, that's what, correct how they you. correct. I gotcha. They gotcha. correcting you. That's that second column on the chart there. That's yeah. correction and gotcha. clarification. And and you may have done really a good job, but their hearing it made them want to make it a little different than what came out the first time. Well, should we move on to summarizing? Is that the next step? Well, yeah. Um, the summarizing is something that. I really think is probably the most difficult for people to do. It sounds like I'm just repeating paraphrase. I'm summarizing. But it's an important step that you might do one or two. Certainly, you might do it at the end. But it's pulling together and condensing and clarifying the major points that have happened throughout the discussion, the whole discussion. Your understanding of the complete message and you're kind of pulling it together in a more general, longer period of, of time. This has a really wonderful uh, ability for the person, again, hearing your summary to amplify, to correct, or to expand, to agree. And if you're trying to kind of build to a conclusion, you're trying to start on an action plan, if you're trying to do that, then it can be very helpful to kind of pull those thoughts and those elements of the discussion together. But, you know, that's just one application that sounds more like a PPI or an interview with the bishop or something like that, but it could be much more informal. It could be something where I'm trying to get more in touch with the teen and their 
So I'm hearing you having a pretty good time at school. Right now, things are going well. You're kind of, you know, into your sports thing, but it's a, it's a struggle for you. But you like the coach and he's a good guy to work with. You've got a group of friends around you that kind of working well. You see, there's, there's something to hear about that. And they hear that story. Well, Dave, it's not quite that great, you know. And they then want to clarify. Mm-hmm. And they can then move to a different story. So the reality is a little different than what you've just summarized. Yeah. And that's why you do it. Yeah. You want to get to that kind of level of understanding. So what, what's the difference between what's happening in active listening and what's happening in summarizing? Well, that's a great question. See, in active listening is kind of a quick paraphrase mm-hmm. of that time in that moment and that what the person has just said. So you're paraphrasing that accurately. A summary is a more holistic combination of the key points that have been developed throughout the discussion. Gotcha. Okay. And now we're kind of pulling those major elements together in kind of a capsule to see if we've got the whole picture correctly. Gotcha. So this may be when you kind of feel like, you know, I think we're ready to wrap up the interview. You may kind of shift to this summarization step. of, Or it, it could be that some key things happen with regard to Say I'm doing a PPI with uh, a person who's struggling with their companion on home teaching. And I really want to kind of get to the dimensions, first of all, of their relationship. And so I might talk about that and then summarize that part of the discussion before I go on and talk about the individual families. And so that's Hmm. not necessarily I'm going to summarize the whole thing at the end. I want to summarize that part of the interview during that discussion. So you're, you're getting along pretty well. Sometimes he's hard to meet with, but by and large, his heart's in the right place. He gives a good lesson and we're kind of, kind of getting along together as companion. So he, that's a summary. Yeah. And you're ready to move on yes. to the next subject. Right. And my mind goes to, you know, early on with uh, the focus questions, you talk about, you know, you don't want to take control of the interview. And so how do you know when discussions happen enough so that you're ready to move on and you're not just taking control of the interview? Well, you'll feel that. I mean, you've, if you've thought through your questions in advance, some of them will naturally dovetail into the next mm. step. And you can ask, you know, so, you know, how are things going with your, your friends? Uh, you know, who do you really pound around with? Because you've got in your mind, I want to find out how is, you know, how is socially integrating with this social group. And so that kind of naturally flows. Then you might ask a follow-up question like, uh, well, who do you admire most of the kids you play around with? Mm-hmm. And then when you listen to what he says about who he admires most, you realize that what Peter says about Paul says more about Peter than it says about Paul. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a very useful kind of framework to realize these are the things that he's valuing. These are the things he respects. These are the values he has. Yeah. And he, he uh, really, that says a lot about who he is. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm just curious with the summarization, do you ever, you know, use, do a pre-summary at the beginning of the interview to give them an idea of, of where we're going? You know, I've got some questions here and this is first, we're going to talk about, you know, your home teaching families. And then we may talk about your companionship. I mean, does that help or do you just jump right into those questions? Um, In the uh, business setting, we have a number of very questions. I mean, we have as many as 20 or 30 questions. Mm -hmm. We show up at a clipboard and and take notes. And we are very transparent about what we're doing in that setting, particularly when we're interviewing clients for a project or something like that. 
in these settings, I think it might be a little too constraining mm. to put that level of organizational framework around it. And I mm-hmm. would let it more happen. You know, you can be organized, you can be prepared, you can have your own game plan, but you don't have to be upfront with all of that and saying, here's where we're going to go. And after that, we're going to do this and so forth, you know, and, and things might pop up that are way off plan. And you need to kind of be in the moment, responsive to those. And they could be well worth dropping everything else that you had planned yeah. to zero in on what came up during the interview that you hadn't expected. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, as you, as you summarize, you know, maybe a certain concept or topic has, has been discussed, you summarize it. And then do you kind of, as you move on to the next one, you, you start this process all over again and, and well, start yeah, with those focus say, questions. Well, you know, let's talk about how you're getting along with your families now. Tell me about what's going on with the Andersons. Mm-hmm. How are they doing? Mm-hmm. You know, so you're, you know, there's this segue and there's mm-hmm. this transition and you move on to new topics and so forth. But, you know, you, you have people often don't say a summary because they feel like it's implicitly understood. Mm-hmm. That that's all that's going on. And that, you know, that's what I said, you know, weren't you paying attention? No, by you taking the initiative, pull together those things, you're looking for clarification. And you might, he might say, in regards to getting along with his companion, oh, I, you know, I may have painted it a little prettier than it really is. I mean, sometimes it can be quite difficult to work with. And when he goes on vacation, he's gone forever. You know, I, you know, I never know when he's going. You know, there's just, and then we can talk about what do you do then? You see what I mean? It yeah. just gives you an opportunity for them to hear that sound and realize, oh, is that really what the message I want the uh, elders quorum president to hear? Is that accurate? Or is there something I need to clarify here? Yeah. That's it, why we do those summarizations. Yeah. It just solidifies deeper communication it because does. so many times I think broken expectations happen because two people leave an interaction with thinking the two different conversations happened. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so it really saves time in the future. And that's the whole idea of this. If we're really trying to be better at this interaction with individuals to get to deeper levels of communication, this kind of methodology is designed to do that. And it's been very, very successful. It's just if we can give ourselves over to the level of discipline it takes to develop focus questions, to have an outline, to check with others and see if we can improve in some way. And then to follow through and struggle with the skill of starting to paraphrase quickly, succinctly, and accurately, and become comfortable doing that almost habit like a habit. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's a that's a skill that when you start getting it, you just you won't ever forget it. It's something you'll find very, very useful. That's the basic gist of it. Where else do we need to go from here? Well, I'd like to go through a couple of sequences for illustration's sake. Okay. I've found that these kind might be helpful. I was surprised to hear from some people I thought were really kind of skilled interpersonally how they struggled with the kind of sequential order of questions that might be useful to just going through. And I've gotten a, a couple of examples here. One is kind of a get acquainted with perhaps in a teen setting. And the other is more of a problem-solving sequence that more might be in something that a bishop might use. So the first one is, tell me a little bit about where you are in school. What are your favorite classes and teachers? What kinds of activities do you have that are of interest? What are your favorite things to do? And as you hear those things, you realize, I'm going to, this is a potent question. 
and I'm probably going to spend 15 minutes here just in, in terms of them responding to that. I'm going to hear about, do they like to read? Or what books do they like to mm-hmm. read? What's their favorite authors? Who are some of the things that, what are they, you know, what drives them about that genre of, of kind of books? And uh, as you go through this, you're trying, you're not just trying to get through your checklist of exactly uh, laundry right. list of questions. You're trying to z- see, where can I zero, uh, narrow in on this, right? Yeah, I'm trying to understand them. And this question is really my feeling that I've got a lot of good stuff here that I can use to get at that. But I've kind of internalized my questions here, and and I'm thinking, you know, what are some of the movies or TV shows you particularly enjoy? And, you know, well, tell me about that. You know, what those characters are really funny, you know. Yeah. Things like that. Who do you pal around with again? Those are kinds of questions that, you know, you build down. If you're into sports, what's your practice routine? Tell me about your coach. Who else is on the team? Who's really doing it well? Where do you fit into that group? You know, these are the kind of things that if you start thinking about them, it really helps you develop it. And that's why this preparation of focused questions in the way of you getting prepared really helps you to get Mm. deeper to the level. The other example I wanted to share is one around problem solving. And this comes primarily out of a business environment, but I think you'll see immediately how it fits into the gospel setting. So you've brought out an issue decided, you know, this is something we've got to kind of work through. The tendency is to then take over and say, okay, now here's what I want you to do. Okay. Yeah. Take notes here because I'm going to be <laughs> The bishop is talking in word yeah. council. Everybody be quiet. <laughs> okay. So here's the different approach. Let's work through this together. What have you thought about this? How best do you think you ought to proceed? What approaches have you considered? What ideas seem to make sense to you right now? So, Is there anything else? What seems to be the best idea for you right now? Okay. Do you see any problems with that approach? You know, what kind of things? What do you see as kind of the most challenging part of putting that into practice? Why would that? Yeah. Tell me about that challenge. Any other ideas? Where do you see help coming from? Who are guys, gals, people, folks you can count on to help here? How can I be of most help? Let's talk about that for a minute, how I can work with you on this. See, we're getting their viewpoint here. And you're digging. You're going more and more, you know. So you've seen, I've, I've gone through about 10 questions here. And that's the kind of level of depth that you're trusting there'll be value there. Now, maybe they won't be as forthcoming. and Maybe you need to work harder. Maybe they're going to be, you know, somewhat of a stonewall at certain times. You need to kind of get past that and you need to be transparent with your intention. I'm really here to be your friend and to help. And I want nothing more than for you to be successful. That's my highest value here. And I think we can do this together. You know, that kind of transparency in your intention is very, very important for you to build that kind of trust. And who else can help? Uh, When do you think we should check back? And uh, how's the best way for you to contact or connect with some of these folks that could be helped? Let's talk through that. You yeah. see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and my mind's going to, you know, you talk about this preparation of, of taking time to prepare these questions, not just saying, okay, I'm going to write down, you know, all these questions Dave's saying on this podcast and I'll, and I'll take them to word council, but really thinking, okay, before we go into word council, before I have this interaction, what are some sincere questions I could ask? Because it is, it truly is in the power of those questions, you get so 
it can help you get so deep into that conversation. That's exactly right. You're mentally empathizing with that in before you even engage. Yeah. It's kind of creating things spiritually first before mm. they're naturally. I like created. that. There it is. Like it. It's a plan. It's yeah. kind of what the planning process is about. The spiritual creation before we actually implement the plan. Yeah. So that's the problem solving scenario. Yeah. Those are some ideas and questions. And I, and I couldn't help it. I mean, that sound, those sounds like perfect word council questions <laughs> that you could take in there. Well, it could be, but it could be you're working individually with that individual, that one-on-one. You're talking to the person who's experiencing the issues and you want them to own the solutions. You want them to be engaged with you. Not that we're going to implement this big grand plan as a word council, which we may do and it may in fact impact the family and do all kinds of things. But I'm I'm really thinking about how you connect across one-on-one with that young teen who's you know, really struggling with some problems and who needs to kind of take ownership over their own, own uh, solutions. Yeah. Perfect. Any other scenarios that would be helpful? What well, else? Yeah. Uh, the last one I have is in the classroom. Mm, this is a good one. I like it. And this is where you're there. And, and let me just say, if I could give any advice to teachers, it's look at the manual. Really carefully. These (laughs) brothers and sisters have put together a team of experts in education who've gone through the correlation process and who have developed a plan. And oftentimes there is just excellent, thought-provoking, meaningful questions that are in the manual that are just passed over by a teacher. And I just shake my head saying, why didn't he ask that question? (laughs) You know, why didn't he trust the group to stand up to that question? Yeah. It's very thought provoking, could make some meaningful discussion. So I'd really caution and counsel people to take the manual seriously and, and think about what the brethren have done to put it together in a thoughtful way. But the other point that's kind of basic to this is that don't put yourself as the expert. I've got a lot of material here I've got to cover. And, you know, we just got a short time to... That's just nonsense. Yeah. And nobody has ever said that's the way it ought to work, but you hear that all the time. So don't set yourself up as an expert. And so Brother Jones asks a tough question and asks you, the teacher, and what do you do? You say, class, Brother Jones has asked a very thought-provoking question. What do you think? It's called turning the question around. Yeah. And you then ask the group, you know, Let's think about this idea. And so you, you don't need to feel like you're on the spot ever yeah. to try to be the expert and have all the answers or to engage. The other thing is to to work with your class over time to develop them into people who will respond. And you can do that by a number of ways. First of all, you might think of in advance what your approach is to your class and call some people in advance and say, I'd yeah, like you to share a really story good. here. Mm-hmm. You know, you've done some things when, when you were on your mission. I've heard a little bit about that. And I, I think you could really share an important story about that. Would you be willing to do that? And now, you know, that's called seating group. Then you can call on your stars. You know, there are people in the <laughs> class that you know have got things to say. They've always got an opinion. Yeah, they've yeah. got an opinion. <laughs> and you need to kind of work with them. You know, sometimes it can be a little overbearing, but you can kind of coach them over time and say, you know, I just really appreciate your desire to bring value to our class. It's just very helpful. And I appreciate it sometimes when you make a comment that you 
you blend it in with what other people have said. That just makes it so much more powerful and helpful. So there are ways that you can do that to kind of coach and seed your class. And then don't be impatient with your class. You know, take some time. There's a pause there. And I find too many teachers are just too eager to step into that quiet space where people are thinking and fill it with their quick answer. Don't do that. I see some thoughtful heads going on here. You know, let's give us some time to think about it. I really think this is a good question we ought to answer, you know, yeah. and then let, let them go. And then work very hard to listen to what the class says, paraphrasing at times. So you're, you're sensing that when you visited this home teaching family, they weren't all that excited to have you come and kind of resentful. That was a very difficult position for you to be in. See, you're paraphrasing and capturing the essence of what they've said. And that can be very affirming to the class. They feel understood. They feel like what they've said has been heard. And that paraphrasing in that context is as important as any other. And they, of course, they can amplify and clarify. But the most important thing is that they feel heard and that the class understands the nature of their comment and they feel valued. I'm, I'm sometimes shocked, frankly, when I hear someone make a comment. I just feel it's startlingly self vulnerable. They're, they're out there sharing a personal story and the class teacher kind of gives little acknowledgement to it at all and just kind of moves on to the lesson. And I think, man, was, yeah. wow, what a comment. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you need to kind of have that sense of presence of what's going on in the dynamics of the classroom to kind of really put it. And part of that is taking yourself off this need to be pushing your content out. Yeah. You know? You know, and this takes me to a question I asked you in some of our conversations prior to this, that especially in a classroom setting, it's good, great to have a comment and then you sort of, you know, you do some of this, uh, the amplifying, the the paraphrasing. And but what do you do if you kind of feel like whether, and it, I think it happens more often in the classroom setting than maybe a one-to-one interview, but that that comment's taking us in a direction that I don't necessarily want to go as the teacher. And I, this happens a lot in in my interviews that I do on Leading LDS that, They'll, they'll bring something up and yeah, it's sort of interesting, but we're not really here to talk about that. Yeah. You know, and, and how do you, what's that balance there so that you don't just, the, the lesson doesn't drag you off as the instructor? Well, that's a real problem. And it's a real issue that every one of us has faced. And you might simply say, interesting comment. And now let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. You don't need to kind of feel like you have to probe and deal with and reflect on everything yeah. it's right. said. Right. It's know? not a rule that you no. have to do this after no. every comment. You're but. making judgments on the quality of the comments and where they fit. And some people can be really off base yeah. and talk yeah. about stuff that really has no place being talked about. Yeah. And, and so you'd say, very interesting comment. Let's go on with this idea here. Let's read chapter mm. three of Nephi, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, <laughs> you reclaim control. You yeah. ask the question or you get, you get the group back. So what I'm hearing is that, that when that comment is said, and it has a lot, brings a lot of value to the discussion, it's don't just cut it off there and think there's nothing else more behind no. that. And that's what these do is kind of draw out even more value from that comment that was said exactly. from the class. And, and the idea here, again, with thought-provoking questions that really get to the heart of spiritual issues that you want the class to deal with, that are at the heart of the lesson, you want to build to that and do the kinds of things that would allow that to come forth. 
And so some of that controlling could be very important for that. But I'm thinking too, if I'm teaching in the way that we're being taught, you know, the Savior's yeah. way. Yeah, teaching the Savior's way. It's all about this. Yeah, this you is know. such a valuable This skill. is the way we do it. Yeah. You know, we listen very intently. Who? This is Johnny talking. Johnny, who has some problems with his parents and he's got some issues with this part of the doctrine. It's important we take time here with Johnny on this issue. Mm-hmm. That understanding of where individual class members are and your willingness to give that time to play out and not feel like you have to cover everything in the lesson is all about what we're doing here, being centered on individual class members and individual people and their and their struggles, their testimonies, and their view. And, and you can create some of these. I've written case studies and role plays and stuff like that, which really get to the heart of that. And it's a pretty helpful with youth particularly mm-hmm. yeah, to play at that level of intimacy in the classroom setting. Awesome. I love that that scenario for sure. So I'm sure there's a lot of leaders out there, and especially the, the poor uh, listener. I know many people are listening as they jog or on the treadmill and they're thinking, I can't write now. It's right. But uh, definitely something to revisit and maybe listen to this episode again. But I'm just thinking the leader is like, man, I'm, this is really helpful. How do I jump into this and really get good at this interview style? Yeah, those who really want to take this seriously as a skill, it requires practice, review, inflection, even some note-taking or some journaling. So try it out and then see how it works and be quite intentional about what you're doing. And then right after you've tried it out, maybe that evening or that afternoon, reflect on it. Take out a piece of paper and think about, now what did I, what was my intention here? What was I trying to do? And how did it go? What went well? What didn't go so well? And kind of process that. And then What are you going to do next? What do you want to keep doing? What do you want to sustain? What do you want to stop doing? And what do you want to start doing? That simple reflection on the event, on the effort, will be so much about you getting better. Military does this all the time. It's called an after-action review. Hmm. But it's it's a way of refining and getting better at any skill you want to do. And so that's the key. You got to take it seriously. You got to practice. You got to be intentional. You got to review, follow up, think about what you did and learn from it as you go forward. Yeah. Well, Dave, I can't thank you enough for not only this conversation, but you know, the tips and and encouragement you've given me as to be a better interviewer. And I I hope that, you know, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. It's a, it's a work in progress. (laughs) Nobody has. We're all working. Right. That's that's what mortality is about. But I look forward to your emails uh, encouraging me, hey, maybe try this or that. That didn't work or, you know, you should have digged in there or whatever. But uh, what, what, so what's ahead of you now? Uh, you, well, you're headed on a mission. We're heading on a mission to uh, Hawaii. I know. I know. Wow. Vacation Some, mission. Somebody's <laughs> got to do it. And, <laughs> and, you know, we've fortunately got called and really feel honored to, to be able to, to serve. You know, we were talking again to... This uh, friend of mine, he's, you know, just a devout, wonderful Christian guy. And we were talking about, he knows that we've been preparing for years to kind of go on a mission. And so now it's come. And he has an interesting way. I mean, he and his wife are very engaged in their own Christian fellowship as Methodists. And he, uh, we visited together a couple of weeks ago and spent about four or five days together as they were completing their Appalachian trail hike. And he said, you know, this is such an opportunity for spiritual entrepreneurialism. 
<laughs> wow, that's a term I've heard before. No, it's a term we don't hear in the gospel. <laughs> Pretty much, we're top down here, and uh, and so I thought, oh, spiritual entrepreneurialism, and I thought more and more about that as we talked about the things that might I might do to contribute to my, you know, it, the opportunity of couples to serve a mission is quite different often than those for young elders, and the opportunity for you to create to find and to create uh, meaningful ways to provide service based on your own capacities and your own inclinations is truly spiritual entrepreneurialism. And uh, mm. so I'm looking forward to kind of experiencing yeah. that. And as I finished a vacation, I, I read a, a book called uh, Being Mortal by Atwell, it's called Gowani. He's a, just a wonderful author. And he talks in Being Mortal about caring for the aged and the steps we go through and um, even going into taking care of people who die. And, but in the first three or four chapters, he talks about the changes in mental outlook that older people go through. And these are people like myself who are <laughs> retired and are now going on a mission. He says your perspectives change as you get closer to the end and you value closer relationships, family, close ones. That's why sometimes it's so hard for some to go on missions is that they value those close relationships. And we're also seeking to make a meaningful contribution. And I think that's what we're going to try to do on our mission is, is uh, build new relationships with people that hopefully will become close and, and see if we can't make a meaningful contribution. With this model, the 3DI model of interviewing, such rich content, so much to think about. As you've developed the skill of interviewing, of, of really making deeper connections with, with individuals, which is synonymous with leadership. How has that made you a better disciple or follower of Jesus Christ? Well, you know, I've spent my whole career, all of my adult life, developing people. That's what I've done. It's been a tremendous, uh, wonderful, meaningful career. And, you know, part of that comes from our religious orientation. We, we believe in a church, a religion that teaches us about our divine potential. As astonishing as it is unique, the unlimited nature of our potential that may be the reason why so many LDS are in, you know, training and, yeah. and leadership and <laughs> yeah, so development. But I came across this quote that I've, I've found that I think really puts it into place. He said, um, it's from C.S. Lewis. He says, it's, it's possible to think too, perhaps too much about our potential glory in the hereafter, but it's hardly possible for a person to think too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. The backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live among, in a society among possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk with may someday be a creature which if you would see them in that full extent, you would be strongly tempted to worship them. All day long, we are to some degree helping each other in the, those dimensions. It is in that light of these overwhelming possibilities with which we should stand in awe and circumspection proper to them. We should conduct it in all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all plays, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You 
have never met or talked to a mere mortal. But it is immortals that we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Does not mean we have to be perpetually solemn. We must play and have merriment of that kind, in fact, merriest kind, which exists between people who have found at the outset they take each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be real and costly love with deep feelings for the sin in spite of the love and feelings for the sin in spite of that we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence or parodies were flippancy, parodies, merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. You know, we really need to value this in others and in that perspective, to see others as God sees them, to see their potential. That lifts you as a disciple, it lifts them. It's the highest level of interpersonal contact. And that concludes this throwback episode of the Leading Saints podcast. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. Remember, solve the burden of meetings by visiting leadingsaints.org 14 and getting 14 days access to the Meetings with Saints virtual library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.